Father, again, we're grateful for uh, life and breath and how we acknowledge that we live and move and have our being in you. And that apart from you, we can do nothing. We thank you for the privilege of worship, of being able to come before you. And I ask now for your presence here, for your spirit to do his work of leading and guiding into truth and that your name and your word might be exalted. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Some new faces. Last week, we or two weeks ago, actually, um, we started. Um, and um, we're looking at John 14, 15, and 16. And uh, but just let me kind of quickly review a little bit. Hey, Will. How are you? Um, Jesus, in the context of these chapters, in chapter 13 in particular, Jesus has declared that his time has come uh, to leave the world and to go to the Father. And, um, and then he says later in John 16, he says, I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going back to the Father. And with that announcement, with those words, the disciples, uh, the 11 disciples who are now left, have become undone. They are afraid. They're fearful. They're anxious. Um, this thought of change, of his leaving, has created anguish, and their hearts are troubled. Their hearts are troubled. Um, and what we have in John 14, 15, and 16 is Jesus speaking into their troubled hearts. He is speaking words of truth. He's speaking words of comfort. He's providing them instruction so that they can live in this world absent from his presence. Um... And so he's, he's, he's seeking to deepen their knowledge and their understanding of the truth um, so that they might be, be comforted. And, um, and so he speaks words of comfort, words of purpose, and words of power. And we, we looked a little bit uh, last week at this idea of, of, of comfort. Um, you know, and as Jesus speaks, I want to remember one thing, that God is not a man that he should lie. So when God speaks, he speaks the truth. And um, Jesus himself says in this context, in particular chapter 14, if you're there you can look at it. Verse 10, he says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me. So when Jesus speaks, he's speaking the very words of his Father. And he is speaking truth. So in these chapters, he speaks truth about the Father, about himself, about faith, about the destination of these disciples. And he speaks all of this to bring them comfort and to quiet their troubled hearts. So let's take a minute. Let's read a few verses. We'll read uh, John 14, 1 through 11, and um, we'll move on from there. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. What is implied if your heart is troubled? If your heart is troubled, what is implied in this passage? The very beginning. Anybody? How about... Conflict. Conflict, all right. How about what is implied about what you believe or don't believe? Mm-hmm. Okay. You lack trust. Um, if your heart is troubled, it, it seems to be implied that, that um, you're not trusting in God or you're not believing in God or in His Son. And so the remedy that is offered by Jesus in the midst of this change that the, the disciples are pot- potentially going to experience is that um, they believe in God. You know, we said it this morning in the Creed, and we say it every Sunday. What do we say? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of of heaven and earth. Um, But what, what do we believe about God the Father? I mean, do we believe in his providence, that he's a God of providence? The Heidelberg Catechism defines the providence of God this way, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his own hand, he upholds and governs heaven and earth and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yes, and all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So do we believe God? Do we believe in his providence? That everything that happens in our lives comes from a fatherly hand that loves us? Do we believe, as Daniel says, that he holds in his hand our lives in all of our ways? Do we believe that he's sovereign? That he rules over every circumstance, every every situation that we may encounter in life? And Job says in Job 23, 13, and 14, but he is unchangeable, and who can turn him? What he desires, that he does. And he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. 
So he is sovereign. And we looked at this briefly last week that he cares that he's concerned when, he, when, he, when Moses saw God in the burning bush. God said to Moses, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. And I am concerned. And so I have come down. And he came down in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so with those, those words of, about believing in God, that there is comfort. And then he says, trust in me also. Believe again in the creed. We also say that I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. God in the flesh, you came down to redeem us, to reconcile us back to God. Although we were banished and estranged, now he brings us to God by his death on the cross. He came to give us eternal life. And like Joe said, by these words and through faith, we are cleansed. And Jesus says it in John 15:3. He says, you are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. And so what happens as a result of believing in God, believing in the fact that he sent his son into the, into the world, our destination, our eternal destiny, if you will, is secured when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me. And so he speaks comfort. And I love Thomas when he says he's like the, he's like the, the, the kid in the classroom at school and the teacher's teaching and everybody is in the classroom is clueless. And everybody knows that they don't know what the teacher's talking about. And there's that one person that raises their hand and says, well, wait a minute, we don't know what you're talking about. And I'll, pr- I'll bet there was a collective sigh of relief among all eleven, <laughs> and said, "Thank you, Thomas. And you remember that feeling in school?" And Jesus says, "I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." And it's amazing to me that these words we we hear them all the time, but Jesus spoke these words to these eleven men to bring them comfort in this life that He promises. Uh, he doesn't promise, but that he says we'll, we'll have difficulties, we'll have problems. In this world you will have trouble. Um, but our eternal security, our eternal destiny is secured because God loved us and sent his son to die for us. And it makes me think of a Luther quote where he says, if you are a sincere believer... If this is what you believe, that God in his love sent his son, then you have all God's treasures and you are his child. And then he says, and the rest of your life on earth is merely a pilgrimage. This life as believers on this earth is just a pilgrimage. This is not home. This is not home. Jesus has gone to prepare a place and he's coming back to take us to be with him. 
And so he speaks these great words to provide comfort for these men who were troubled. Howard Hendricks, who died just in February, he taught at Dallas Theological Seminary for 60 years. And he had this saying that I, that I, that I like in terms of pilgrimage. We are in the land of the dying, headed to the land of the living. And we get it backwards. We think this is the land of the living, and it's not. We are in the, we are in the land of the dying, but we are headed to the land of the living. Um, and then I provided a quote last week from Streams in the Desert, the little devotional book where Jesus, um, this is the quote, it says, Jesus Christ is not my security from the storms of life, but he is my perfect security in the storms. He has never promised me an easy passage, only a safe arrival. And we want both. I want an easy passage, and I want a safe arrival. It reminded me of the movie Radio when he's at dinner with the coach. They're sitting in the booth, and they're eating. And the waitress comes up and says, you want dessert? Remember this? What do you got? You got two different kinds of cobblers. He looks up and says, I want both. I want both. And that's kind of how we are. I mean, I don't, I don't want the struggles that life can bring and the difficulties. Um, but there is a purpose in those uh, difficulties and in those struggles. Let me, you know, Peter was one of the apostles. He was present when Christ spoke these words. Turn to 1 Peter, if you will. You know, and the thought is, did, did he get it? Did Peter get it when he heard these words from Jesus? And as he writes his epistle, I think it's real obvious as he writes to these people uh, who have believed that he got it. Listen to what he says, or follow along. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world. We are on a pilgrimage. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood, been made clean. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think he got it. I think he got it. And so, when our hearts are troubled, which they often are, Believe in God, believe in His Son, and believe that your eternal security 
And so, okay, so is it pie in the sky and the rest of my life on this earth doesn't matter? Well, Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues to speak to these men. And he speaks words of of purpose. Um, Get back to John. Let's flip back to John if you're you're not there. But in John um, 17, as he prays for these these men, in John 17, 13, he says, um, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And they are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And so... These men still had to stay in the world while Jesus left with the promise that he would come back. But then how do we live? What, you know, what, what are we supposed to do in this interim, or as Joe called it, in this in-between time that we find ourselves between his first coming and his second coming? How do we live with purpose? You know, we live for the glory of the Father. And um, I want to look at Jesus' life for a minute um, in terms of how he lived his life while he was on earth. Look at John 17, verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. In John 14, Jesus talks about, and we've already read it, that I spoke your words, I, 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 I did miracles, all of which was that so you might be revealed to the world and you'd lived your life through me. Um, and then in John 14, 31, Jesus says, But the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my father has commanded me to do. He loved his father and he did exactly what he commanded him to do. And then in Hebrews 10 you have a, a, a quote there where Jesus says, you gave me a body, I came to this earth and I lived in a body and I delighted to do your will. And so Jesus lived in this world to bring glory to the father, to complete the work that he'd given him to do to do exactly what he commanded and he delighted to do his will. And the father's response to that was, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And the father exalted him to the highest heavens and gave him the name that is above every name. And you can read that in Philippians chapter 2. But what about these men, these 11 men that were he was leaving behind? What does the Westminster Confession of Faith say about man's chief end? Anybody know? Man's chief end is what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Okay? So our purpose is to glorify God 
and, and to enjoy him forever while we were on this earth and we're waiting for him to return. And in the context of, of these chapters, what I observe is Jesus says to these men, there are works to do, there are prayers to say, there are commands to obey, there's a relationship to maintain, there's fruit to bear, and a testimony, a testimony to be given. And that's kind of a mouthful, and I'll try to walk through this um, as, as quickly and without belaboring it. But any questions? Let me stop right here. Just any comments, any questions, anything need to be clear up? Anybody? Okay. Look at John 14, 12. So Jesus speaks words of purpose to these men as they are here on this earth waiting for him to come back. And he says in verse 14, chapter 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. John 5, chapter 15, verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I made known to you. We know the father's business. There is a kingdom to advance. There are souls to be saved, people to be converted. And to finish up the Luther quote that I said a minute ago about if we are sincere believers, then the rest of our life on earth is a pilgrimage. The quote goes on and says this. God allows you to live in this body and walk on this earth so that you can help other people and bring them to heaven. And the works that he's talking about here is just that, is this... This, this, this conversion of people, this, 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 this people come, these people coming to faith, and you see it after Pentecost, and the Spirit is poured out, and just thousands of people come to Christ. Do they not? They come to faith the first Sunday of Pentecost. And so there are works to be done, not for the sake of our salvation, but because God has made us clean, and we are His children. Ephesians 2, 2, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. This not of yourselves, not by works so that no man can boast. It's a gift of God. And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared for us to walk in. And so for you, I don't know what those good works are for you. And how those will flesh themselves out in your life as you walk with God on this earth. But he has prepared good works for all of us to walk in. Um, okay? So there's work to be done. As his, for these men, for these disciples, and for us as his believers, as his children. There is work for us to do for his kingdom on this earth. Okay. Um, number two, there are prayers to be said. 
John 14, 13. Read this verse. Uh, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. John 16, 23 through 24. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have, asked, have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So there are prayers to be said. Um, I'm reminded of the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18. Um, she goes to the... Let me make sure I get this right. She goes to... Um, let me get there because I can't remember if it's the... It's not the, where she goes to the king and asks for justice, I believe. Luke 18. In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And she keeps coming. She's persistent. And um, the judge says this, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't, she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And this is the, the stunner. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people crying out? Will he find people saying their prayers? Um... And that's the one thing I love about the Advent. When I remember when I first came, you would hear that phrase all the time. Say your prayers, say your prayers, say your prayers, say your prayers. Um, you know, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and, in prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your prayers be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Say your prayers. There's a great story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings uh, chapter 18, 19 in there, King Hezekiah. And it says of him, he trusted in the Lord. There was no one else like him among all the kings of Judah. And he comes under threat. There's, they're going to siege the city. And he receives a letter uh, from the opposing army. And... It's just a beautiful scene. He takes the letter and he says he, it says he goes into the temple and he spreads it out before the Lord. And he prays. And, um, and that's our privilege with, with the difficulties of life and the things that we are troubled with. That we can spread them out before the Lord. That we can take them into his presence and cast them upon him. Britton and I were just talking about that on the hike. Yeah, we were talking about that on the hike. Um, so, you know, wherever your trouble might be in this life, whatever's troubling your heart, um, 
Spread it out before the Lord. Let them hear from you. Uh, my boss tells the story of his mother, who's now dead. But he said every time she would send a note or a card, she would sign off with BYT, SYP. Brush your teeth, say your prayers. <laughs> so, BYT, SYP. Brush your teeth, say your prayers. Um, Trying to watch my time here. I'm about to to my clothes. What time I got till ten to? Okay. Um, what a friend we have in Jesus. Remember the hymn? Yeah. I have a little devotional. Actually, it's Jewish devotional. I stole it from her. She's not happy about it. She'll get it back. But um, it's a it's a it's a it's a devotional about hymn writers, and then they give a little biography of each hymn writer, and then they their their hymn is. But Joseph Scrivener was born in September 10, 1819, in Ireland, the son of a military captain. This is the guy who wrote What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And a minister's daughter. As a young man, he tried to, to, to tread his father's footsteps enrolling in military school, but his health failed, and Joseph ended up a school teacher in Canada. His hopes of marriage were dashed twice, once when his fiancée drowned on the eve of their wedding, and later, when another fiancé died suddenly from pneumonia. As Scriven's own health failed, he grew depressed. And when his body was found in a small pond, no one knew if, if his death was accidental or suicidal. His famous hymn, however, lives on. Joseph wrote it as a gift of encouragement for his ailing mother back in Ireland when he found he didn't have enough money to return home, to comfort her in person. He called it prayer without ceasing. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptation? Is there trouble anywhere? Should we never be discouraged? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I won't continue to read the whole thing, but powerful story. Um, so there's works to do. There's prayers to be said. And there's commands to obey. Um, John 14:15 If you love me you will obey what I command 21 Whoever has my commands and obeys them he is the one who loves me he who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him 23 If anyone loves me he will obey my teaching my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And again, Jesus is the one who said, I do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. So we obey his commands because it manifests our love. He promises to show himself to us, to dwell within us, 
And it's interesting, the connection between obeying commands and joy. Look at John 15.10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There are commands to obey. Um, on Tuesday mornings, we have a Bible study for men who've gone on the hikes, and uh, we're studying First Timothy right now. And um, at the end of last week, it just kind of became overwhelming how the gospel and the intent of the gospel is to just in- impact every area of our lives. Um, and, you, you know, you can see it if you read any of the epistles. I mean... You know, government authorities, paying taxes, husbands and wives, children, slaves, employees, employers. I mean, the gospel impacts everything. And uh, as Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, what is amazing to me is verse 15, chapter 3. He says, if I am delayed... Let me start 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. So God's word is, is given to us to obey so that we might know how to conduct ourselves in whatever area of life we find ourselves. Um, so commands to obey and this is part of our purpose and um, the work that we have to do and how we live to bring glory to the Father Um, there's also a relationship uh, to to maintain Uh, abide in me John 15 I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, and no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So there is a relationship that these men are continued to, to maintain even though Jesus is, 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 is leaving them. And, um, and that is true of us. Because of faith in Christ, we have entered in now to a relationship with the living God. And that is a relationship that we, we are meant to maintain and to build and to grow and Develop. Um, let me read what J.C. Ryle says about this passage in John. <clears throat> he is the vine and they are the branches. The union between the branch of a vine and the main stem is the closest that can be conceived. It is the whole secret of the branch's life, strength, vigor, beauty, and fertility. Separate from the parent stem, it has no life of its own. 
the sap and juice that flow from the stem are the origin and maintaining power of all its leaves, buds, blossoms, and fruit. Cut off from the stem, it must soon wither and die. The union between Christ and believers is just as close and just as real. In themselves, believers have no life or strength or spiritual power. All that they have of vital religion comes from Christ. They are what they are and feel what they feel and do what they do because they draw out of Jesus a continual supply of grace, help, and ability. Joined to the Lord by faith and united in mysterious union with Him by the Spirit, they stand and walk and continue and run the Christian race. But every jot of good about them is drawn from their spiritual head, Jesus Christ. So there is a relationship to maintain. I just want to bring one verse to bear on this. It's from the Old Testament. It's Hosea 6.3. And 34 years ago on this date, I was married to my wife, Julie. And as part of our vows, this, this verse was part of our vows. We got married when it was cool to make your own vows, you know, kind of thing, out there in California. Um, but the verse says this, Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know Him, and He will respond to us as surely as the coming of dawn and the rain of early spring. And so press on, press on to know the Lord, and He will respond to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. I'm not gonna make it through all that I had, but um, so there's a relationship to man. There's fruit that 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 is born out of that relationship, and then there is this this um, this unique office that the apostles were given to testify. Um, uh, of their relationship with Christ and their time with Christ as there is for us to testify to the impact and the change that the gospel has made in our lives. That is what we are to testify to. The gospel has, has, has made a change in my life. Um, so living to the glory of, of the Father in this in-between time there's works to do there's prayers to say. Um, what else did I say? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to recap them here and I can't find them all. There's a command to obey. There's a relationship to maintain. There's fruit to bear. And there's a testimony to be given. Um, so let me stop there. Um, next week is my last week to wrap up. And... Um, I want to address, not that I'm going to be able to, it's, you know, it's funny that it's Pentecost. It's not funny. It's in the providence of God that it's, Pe- that it's Pentecost. And I want to speak about um, the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks words of power. Um, but when the Holy Spirit comes, these guys' lives were radically transformed. Because their faith at this point in the journey was not real strong. <laughs> you know, they were struggling. And that's an encouragement to us. 
to me, you know. Um, so that's that's where we'll be going next week. Um, look at some of these things on the Holy Spirit and the power that He provides to live a life to the glory of the Father. Any comments? Any questions? Okay. Let me close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, thank you that you um, sent your Son so that um, our eternal destiny can be secured. I pray that that would comfort us in the midst of this life and the troubles and the hardships that come. And um, we look forward to that time where we will be with you in your presence in that home that you've built for us. And in this in-between time, Father, give us grace. Give us grace to walk with you, um, to love you, to know you, and to bring you honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.